Hello, 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 and welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we are creating a space for dialogue around issues that impact the construction industry. And I'm your host today, Rachel Ivey. On today's episode, we are super excited to be talking about all these great opportunities that are coming up in the utility and infrastructure space. Um, The other day, I was reading that uh, Exelon had just signed on to be a part of the White House Talent Pipeline, uh, the Talent Pipeline Challenge. And um, basically, the challenge is a nationwide call to action for employers, education and training providers um, to be more intentional about creating tangible commitments that support equity workforce development in the fields of broadband, construction, and electrification. Uh, And this year, Exelon is on track to invest nearly $14 million to support those efforts um, and different workforce development programs. And so that got me to thinking, what, as a workforce professional, what do I need to do or what do we need to be doing? What should the conversation look like to start to prepare people for those opportunities? And so on today's episode, I have some amazing professionals in the utility space so we can talk about exactly what it is we should be doing and how to actually get ready. They're going to kind of share their stories, how they kind of got involved um, in this space. Today we have one of our special guests is Mr. Michael Thompson, who is the executive director for Community Pipeline. He brings over 10 years of experience in the workforce development space across different industries. Um, We also have my good friend, my troublemaker, Mr. Cornell Barnett, who has also a ton of experience over 37 years. He actually retired from ComEd and is now a consultant with Intran in their workforce development program. And then we also have Mrs. Shakita Davis, who has over 15 years in the the utility space. And she started out as a meter reader. So I can't wait for her to share her story um, and let us know how she actually got involved. So to kick us off, um, I think I'm going to roll over to Cornell. So Cornell, <laughs> just giving, giving our listeners just a little background about you um, and just kind of sharing your story. Okay. Well, thank you, Rachel. Well, as you stated, I started with ComEd, also as a meter reader oh, many yeah. years ago. I climbed the ladder and went to the, um, when I retired, I retired as a um, lobbyist for, in Springfield. From there, I, I went to Entrin, and it was very interesting because going to Entrin, being a con, constru, uh, Entrin is not a utility, but we're a contractor, one of the largest minority contractors for ComEd. Okay. And, and minority contracts, we always want to help bring up other minority contractors, or as well as a diverse workforce, as a workforce in general. So we've also created our own program. It's called the Entrin Institute. It's sort of piggyback after the Construct program to bring knowledge to people in the community on how to become a lineman or a splicer or even a veg management tree trimmer. Okay. So that's our direction today. All right. So, Michael, you want to give us some more information about uh, you and, and Community Pipeline? Yeah. I, awesome. Uh, Michael Thompson, Executive Director of Community Pipeline. 
Uh, really excited to be here and, and talk about uh, some of the uh, training and development programs the Community Pipeline has. Our focus is on quality control, uh, risk management, estimation, and, and really uh, providing DEI initiatives and strategies to partners in the private sector space, uh, supporting them to uh, have uh, additional minority hires. So we're really excited uh, about the opportunity to, to create more diversity within the utility space because it's necessary. And Shakita, won't you share your story with us? I've actually been within the field for 15 years. Like you said, I started off as a meter reader. And from there, I actually went into distribution. So what is distribution? Give distribution up. Yeah. is when you actually connect the main, connect okay. the service. I installed the meters. I installed everything from going in from literally from the street into the house. Okay. And, and she's a female, y'all, just in case, because sometimes people don't think females can no. do that. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I just got my voice back, so uh, sorry about that. But I literally did everything from beginning to end. Okay. So when it came from literally the meter to setting the service, setting the meter, installing the meter, um, the inside safety inspections, which that's a really big campaign, and I'm actually going to speak with that, right? You know, speak about that as far as that's where we're going in the direction as far as where people can go in and actually get a job. So when we uh, okay. go into that, I'll actually speak about the inside safety inspection campaign that we're actually doing now. Okay. So I went from distribution to uh, a general supervisor, from a general supervisor. Now I'm a senior operations supervisor. So I am currently working with the sewer cross-board program, which they take the cameras and actually go into customers' homes, just a camera from the sewer to the homes to make sure that we initially install, we didn't bore. Okay. So I work with, I don't typically work with the union people as far as with people's gas, but I work with the outside contractors. Okay. So I am currently working with five different contractors now. Uh, we work with a really diverse and currently now a woman owned. Okay. So this this is my first year actually getting into um, the woman owned, black owned construction that came from Wisconsin. So I'm very very excited about working. Okay. Well, well, good deal. Thank you so much, Shakita. And how did your how did you come about it? So like, um, were you just you know you was like oh let me apply like how did people gas find you? So I actually went, I was working at AT&T in a customer service uh, mm -hmm. call center. So we actually got laid off. So someone told me people's gas is high. Okay. So I literally word of applied. Mouth. Yes, word of mouth. I applied. And from there, even though it was a decrease in pay, but I literally was like, let me try this. Okay. And. Yay. So Cornell, for you, how did you, um, you started um, in the industry as well, you know, started learning a whole everything that people gas and it seems like there's been a ton of different opportunities so what would you say um was one of the reasons you were successful and has been has been able to operate in so many different spaces well okay at ComEd, as i said i started as a meter reader from there i went into what they call the overhead climbing school mm -hmm. and joined the underground department then i went into training and doing that whole um, transition from one job to the next, I noted there was not a whole lot of opportunities for people in the community. Mm. The challenge is, and it's probably still today, you know, from 37 years ago, that you really don't know how to get in the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, That's why I really wanted you guys to say, 
how did you find out about it? Like, where are the, the awareness campaigns? Like, how do, how do people know people are hiring? I mean, back years ago, word it was of word of mouth. Yeah. There's still, I think, probably in that same vein where you knew somebody, you'll go into the, um, uh, the workforce and say, hey, do you know anybody looking for a job? And it just happened to meet a friend. He gave me an application years ago. And once you get into the industry, of course, you know you have to do whatever it takes to get to the next level. But just to get into the workforce is challenging, especially today since ComEd passed legislation, which gave, brought on smart meters, and that ended the workforce of meter readers. So that was our entry-level mm-hmm. pool back then. And now it's, you know, the construct program is somewhere people can try to enter. But once again, you got to find those different avenues. It's just not a, a ad in the paper like it was years ago. So even with them starting the smart meter um, program, didn't they have like a campaign going for people to actually install the smart meter? They did. It was it was um, a lot of our subcontractors were hired, people from the community, to, to put in these smart meters. But of course, you install them all and that job ended. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's often the interesting argument with automation is that, you know, you automate products, uh, processes, and it eliminates jobs. But then you create new jobs with the automation, uh, with the technicians that are working on these new uh, automated technologies. So it's always interesting that balance between automation and then the creation of new jobs that are helping to uh, manage that uh, new technology. So that's a good point, Michael. So to that point, Cornelio, how do how did people stay relevant? So once the subcontractors came in they installed it. That eventually uh, kind of phased out. What the ones that stayed in the industry and stayed successful? What are the things that they do? Did they? Well, you know, you have to find your niche, right? So okay. what you will do is you 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 you'll go and join a local. You know, you got the local one thirty four, local nine. Go through whatever programs that they might offer. Then you have to sit on the books. Hopefully that you don't sit on the books long. But that still is a challenge in itself. Um, this is interesting, Cornell. So you got to dummy it down for me a bit. I did not realize that there, the work was union. So you you bring up a good point in terms of how that kind of. Well, the, I guess installing meters, you know, you were subcontracted. That was not as much of a, it, it was a union shop, local too, I think it was. Um, because to work on a ComEd property, you have to be a union unless it's a uh position in where you in the cleaning industry they're not unionized yet so you have to be oq qualified correct to be qualified so to really get in it then you have to basically it was word of mouth but com ed could help you they access those unions for you well yes yes well you know so you you as a subcontractor you you you'll come in and you bid on the work um and then from there, like a live wire, we we'll, we helped them get on the Comet property. He then hired a lot of staff to do the installation of the meters. Okay. Now, after that, you know, you can either stay with live wire or you try to f- land with another subcontractor to hopefully one day get on the property of Comet as a, a lineman or a underground helper or a construction helper. I think those are some of the positions they have today. Okay. And... So right now, just based off of your experience, the process has been you typically would get in the industry by working with a subcontractor who works directly with ComEd or People Gas. Correct. correct. Okay. Okay. But it's an initiative that you mentioned before that is really spearheaded by Kelvin Butler, who is the president and CEO of Exelon Utilities. And he's real passionate. I saw him this year in spring in my ex in Peoria at the um, Black Chamber Conference with Larry Ivory. Mm, okay. And he's stating very clearly that workforce development is important. Yes. 
And even as a larger vendor, which would be entry, and if you don't really step up and do what we ask of you as a vendor to kind of share our vision, then, you know, we won't punish you, but you can't really grow with us because this is the direction we're growing in. That's why he put the money out there as well to help small businesses as well as, you know, other vendors to kind of grow in that space. Okay. So if I'm clear, because if I understand something, I can repeat it back to you. So basically, if I want to get in this industry, I really need to look not necessarily at, say, ComEd, but more of the subcontractors that they work with. Right? Correct. Okay. But just like... Um, and workforce development agencies, right? right? Exactly. Okay. And so then, how are work? How have you seen workforce development agencies working together or working in tandem? I think what happens is, you know, they'll they'll create um, a pool of people like your, you know, mm-hmm. like the industry that you help us with. You know, when we were looking for individuals to for our company, we would come to Rachel and say, "Hey, do you have someone that we could put in our workforce, and then we'll put them in, we get them trained." put them in our program. And then from there, we'll give them opportunities. If they just suggest to come with us, that's great. Sometimes they, you know, there's a lot of other opportunities out there that go elsewhere. Right. But do you have a contract that you'll set with Rachel, like for six months, we'll do this or a year, we'll do this. And you give us so many people. We haven't gotten to that yet, but. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you, Shakita. (laughs) That'd be great, Cornell. That's a potentiality with the uh, resources and tools at the disposal of workforce development agencies. <laughs> no, but but uh, you know what workforce development agencies essentially do? They act as labor supply chains, right? Yep, so the yes. labor market has the same uh, sort of dynamics of supply and demand as general uh, economies. And so when a company has a labor demand need, they're looking to institutions like workforce development agencies that act as labor supply chains to get them the talent that they're looking for. And that means being informed on what the demand uh, actually actually resembles, right? So uh, if I'm ComEd or if I'm People's Gas or if I'm uh, Company X, I need you know five years of experience, an OSHA license, an estimation license, whatever, right? You put that candidate profile together and then as a workforce development agency, it's incumbent upon you to share that information with the people that you're serving, the population that you're serving, and prepare them to meet those needs. Okay. So while you have the mic, Michael, (laughs) (laughs) why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Community Pipeline is, kind of what they do, Mm -hmm. and how they are working with um, the industry? So we're a relatively new program. We'll be running some pilot cohorts in 2023. Uh, but essentially, as I said earlier, what we're looking to do is is diversify more of that management and executive level of the industry. Uh, okay. When you kind of look at the uh, sort of uh, 30,000 foot view of the construction career pathway, right? If you come in as somebody with a high school diploma, it's either construction helper or laborer or going into some sort of post-secondary trade opportunity. Now, if you have a university degree, now you can come in sort of as like an assistant project manager, estimator, things of that nature, those titles, but you still need the relevant experience to matriculate onto the construction management type roles, right? Uh, And so what Community Pipeline hopes to do is, uh, as I said before, increase the uh, sort of funnel of diversity hires that are going towards that construction management pathway. Because when you have more people uh, that look like you in leadership, well, now you open up opportunities at the entry level uh, for so many others in our community who may or may not go to college, but these would still be uh, great quality jobs for them to live uh, a life of uh, economic self-sufficiency. Are you all providing training? 
Uh, yes. So when we get started, uh, we do plan on providing OSHA 30 training and PMP training. Uh, those are the uh, sort of certifications that we've seen in some of our market research that a lot of employers are looking for. Uh, but again, as we were talking about earlier, uh, if an employer has a very specific need, right, we would want to put together an MOU or a scope of work around training that addresses that very specific. Need. One other thing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of connected with Community Pipeline via Sitecorp. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about um, yeah. Site? So uh, we are CSR of Sitecorp, a corporate social responsibility arm of Sitecorp. Uh, they're a minority and veteran-owned business under CEO Mario Short. Uh, they are one of the larger uh, heavy civil construction firms across the country with projects in uh, Texas, uh, Mississippi, and California right now. Uh, so really excited about uh, the relationship that we have with Sitecorp. Uh, they're an amazing partner of ours. Uh, Mr. Short is, as you were saying earlier, highly passionate. Uh, the gentleman, Kelvin Butler, highly passionate about increasing diversity in the space uh, from his own experiences, he's seen why uh, diversity is so uh, necessary uh, in the construction space. Uh, and I mean, not just necessary from sort of a, a human rights background, but uh, you know, I want to bring up this data from Dr. Annalise Golger uh, with the Aspen Institute. You know, companies that have uh, intentionally invested in their diversity have seen, uh, you know, a, a quadruple, um, you know, sort of uh rating of their uh, productivity as well as their revenue because you're opening yourself up to new marketplaces, right? If you're someone with a particular background that grew up in a particular area, you're going to reach out to marketplaces that you are already aware of, not even knowing about that implicit bias, right? Mm -hmm. But by diversifying your workforce, you open yourself up to new audiences and new opportunities to grow as a business. And that's what Communities Empowered Through Construction has been pushing for years is really Um, people do like to work with people that they are comfortable with. But with that, I think you also miss out on other amazing talent um, when you don't have a diverse workforce. And just with the city alone, 50% residency um, policies and local hiring uh, initiatives that they've put in place, companies who didn't diversify early on are finding it very difficult to keep up and now they are kind of, they, um, when they are going after contracts, uh, general contractors are really looking at one of the first questions is, what does your workforce look like? How can you help us meet our local hiring goals? And so um, to your point, I think it's really important to start thinking about diversifying your workforce now so that um, when things begin to change and as things begin to change, you are ready and can grow. Um Okay, that's my little soapbox, so I'll stop right there. So just one quick question now. So what do you think are some of the barriers to entry when you start to look at this, the utility and infrastructure space? And is the industry really prepared for the the amount of growth that um, it is, especially with the new bill that's projected to happen over the next couple of years? Well, I think that when we discussed this before. Yes, we so literally. y'all was chit-chatting right. before. We were chit-chatting. <laughs> yes. and, and, and to start off to say that there is a huge challenge with yes. the aging workforce mm-hmm. um, that's, in, front, and that's about to happen in the construction industry. No, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually here. Literally, that was our conversation right mm-hmm. before we walked in. Okay. Um, we were just even talking about currently, I actually, even though I'm doing the crossword program, I actually have the privilege of doing the hiring for our project workers. Mm -hmm. So our project workers are, and they can find this on the website. So this is some, a campaign that we're coming out with for people to actually get employed to do inside safety inspections, but it's not full time, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but 
the pay is great. Mm-hmm. And with that now, it's almost, it's temp work. It exposes you to the industry. It exposes you to the industry. And then they're able from there, because of the aging workforce, we're actually promoting quicker than we ever did. Because the project workers, the campaign actually used to end maybe in November, beginning of December. But it's so much work and everyone's retiring. The aging workforce, we're keeping them working. Okay. So it actually turns to permanent. It says temporary work, which everyone should go to peoplesgas.com, look at the careers, even though it says temp work, but apply. Okay. And the only thing, the only requirements currently for the project workers is a driver's license. Oh, Which yeah. is a driver's challenge. Li- yes. Yeah. Driver's license and high school diploma. But it still is a challenge. It's a huge challenge in our community. You'd be surprised how many individuals do not have a driver's license. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> can pass the drug test. Yeah. All in drug test. So, yeah, those it seems to be some of the, the in construction that that seems to be the standard. We are struggling with the uh, the driver's license, the drug testing. Um and you mentioned one other thing. High school diploma, drug High school diploma. And drug, right. Yeah. And it's right. three requirements, or a GED. Yeah. And that is a struggle right now, yeah. unfortunately. So. Well, I mean, and this is something that we deal with in the workforce development space often. How do we upskill individuals to meet the requirements that companies are looking for, even when those requirements seem minimal? And, and, and you never want to engage in the bigotry of low expectations, but there are certain realities when you do want to recruit from certain communities, right? Love so it. we're Come not on, far from North London. <laughs> <laughs> Michael from North Love well, it. I'm originally from Auburn Gresham, but, <laughs> but no, but I was going to make him a West Side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's from the West Side, but, no. okay. but, uh, but North Lawndale, you take North Lawndale, uh, 50% of the males over 18 years old have a criminal background. So if you're an industry that, you know, whether you're federally regulated or not, but you have uh, sort of a, a discriminatory policy against people that are justice involved, where now you're, you know, artificially streaking your pipeline of potential candidates for your jobs because you're not giving access to a, 50% of the population in certain communities. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I have that point. That's kind of my battle. I go back and forth with when it comes to um, being in the construction space and having to have the driver's license initially as you begin to learn the trades. Like, people gas, comment, at the point you've extended me an offer and says, hey, the requirement for this job is to have a driver's license, right? But if I'm taking a program that will teach me a certain trade, I feel like let me learn the trade and let me also work towards getting the driver's license. And so I think that... For me, we really need to start to look at some of the hiring practices, to your point, Michael, um, and what we really need to do to start really getting more people involved and more people working. Um, well, in the construction industry, in the, in the utility space, whether it be a contractor or a comment, the driver's license is so important is because, you know, you, in order for you really, they want you to have a CDL. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to drive the truck and the equipment to the job site. Yep, makes sense. That makes yes. sense. But you need a driver's license, and I don't know all the rules and regulations, but I'm almost certain that you have to have a valid driver's license for, without any type of challenges for it's like for a, insurance purposes for a year though. Yes. So you you know so, so you got to have your driver's license for like six months or a year before you can take the test to get the CDL. Drive. They really raised the bar on the CDL driver's license. Right. 
which I'm fine with because I feel like at that point you have an opportunity that you're extending it to me. I just sometimes have a problem with if I'm if I'm training and I want to learn to automatically be excluded and not have any opportunity to learn because I don't have those things yet. And sometimes when you start to look at the reasons why those things without employment may make it difficult to have. And I think that is why workforce agencies are still very um, important because it's us trying to help them get prepared and get ready to work in the industry. And for me, until the industry starts to really look at how can we help you know, navigate this process without excluding so many people in the beginning. I'll say start a pre-program, right? Have another <laughs> program where they could get their driver's license and get their, um, well, the GED or high school diploma before they get into the next phase of another training program where it's required. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, Go ahead. Sometimes market forces, you know, force companies to just change their standards, right? We were talking about this mm -hmm. earlier as well. Uh, you know, uh, in the baking industry, the FDIC has a Section 19 waiver that allows people with criminal backgrounds to work in financial services. Before, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, no one would yes. even think of somebody with a criminal background being your bank teller. But because of a tight labor market, companies like Chase and Bank of America and, and BMO and, and, and all types of retail uh, banking institutions uh, have had to change those policies so they can actually staff up uh, where their consumers come in uh, to use their product. No, and I'm hoping that's kind of what happens in the construction industry. There's this huge demand where we really need to start looking at how we are um, inviting people to be a part of the industry. Um, I'll say give it a year. Give it a year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, honestly, patients were running out yes, of the no, <laughs> Because of the workforce now, because of the aging workforce, they, they're, we're actually going to force their hand. They have to change something. Well, it'd be challenging without their driver's license still. Because with a CDL, you've got to be able to move that vehicle from one job site to the next. And it's usually the lower man on the totem pole so that drives the truck. So maybe a meter reader. A meter reader would be okay with the no driver's license. Correct. Because you yep. can get someone to maybe like a, a pool, like a van, to have people walk. So I can see that change. Well, to my point, I think that we just really have to start to look at it because... Um, there are issues. So the business as usual just may need to change a bit because these are like legitimate struggles that we are dealing with. And we have to now begin to be creative if we want to continue to work and grow our workforce. I think, I think to your point, there are certain baseline skills that may be required, right? So if you have to drive a car, you may have to have a driver's license, mm -hmm. but maybe you have the driver's license and don't need to, you know, have some other criteria that is less relevant to the opportunity. Correct. So we have other positions inside of entering, like estimating or project coordinating. You know, there's no driver's license required. Just have to be able to get to work. If it's yes. on a bus route, you know, that that's perfect. Well, we're in a different age now. So you got the bus route, you got Uber. Ubers, you got Lyft. <laughs> like, no, really, the, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a whole different industry. I mean, industry, but there are different things that 20, 30 years ago we didn't have, which is why we do have to start looking at our policies to see if what else can we do to kind of make this thing work. So I'm getting the sign that we are running out of time. Um, just quickly, um, in your opinion, Cornell, and then I'll kind of give it to everybody, how can we begin to create more awareness around the utility and the infrastructure space and um, how should people try and get involved? What's like the first step? What would you tell them to do? I think we as a company 
should be more visible at job fairs. I mean, job fairs yes. could have fell off with, during the pandemic and mm-hmm. they have not, I don't know if they picked back up yet. They have, they're starting to. Okay, yeah. so, you know, being more visible, you know, that way people kind of figure out who are you and, and what you do. And also being more um, visible in the schools, you know, talking to seniors and juniors, talking about things that you could do other than going to college if that's not your path. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The, the same way we talk about STEM in high schools, we should also introduce construction okay. in high schools as well. So I'm, I totally agree. No, I, I agree with both of you all. Uh, I think it comes down to, you know, pipeline building. So like you said, you know, t- starting at the top of the funnel, getting at young people at the high school level, getting at uh, incumbent workers that are already in the field, maybe for a few years, helping them to get promoted and upskilled, uh, going at the university college graduates, uh, informing them that there is a space, there are occupations in construction for college graduates. Uh, but then it's also about those hiring practices within the industry. So it's twofold, right? So it's the awareness piece, the recruitment marketing, but then ensuring that the industry has very intentional hiring practices around opening up opportunities to people from all communities. I love it. Last thing, Michael, tell us if people want to know more about Community Pipeline, how should they connect? Uh, so they can visit communitypipeline.org. We have an interest form up on our website right now. Uh, as I said, we'll begin pilot uh, programs in 2023, but we are uh, you know, just having communication with stakeholders right now in the space, seeing how we can support their efforts or seeing how we can support job seekers' needs, just uh, figuring out you know, what is our best value proposition right now in the construction ecosystem, right? So if you say you need X, we want to deliver X and Y. Right. Got it. Thank you. And then, Cornell, what would you suggest people do if they want to connect, say, to Entran or watch for upcoming opportunities um, that your workforce development program may be having or hosting? Um, on our website, Entran.com. Entran.com. Okay. And then, Nikki, what would you suggest? Um, people Peoplesgas.com. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. And to all of our listeners, if you have any thoughts or comments, please sure be please be sure to comment below. And to definitely subscribe to the Blueprint Podcast so you never miss a new episode. This is the Blueprint Podcast, which is a Base Magazine production. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Base Magazine. And don't forget to visit our website at www.basemagazine.com. We'll see you next time.